You're listening to the Unlocking Business Growth Podcast with Nola Heal. Welcome to the Unlocking Business Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Nola Heal. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Lindsay Blackett, a successful businessman and cannabis advocate who's been a leader in the cannabis industry for the past four years. Lindsay is the CEO of Peak Terra Ventures, Inc., which is a curator of cannabis businesses that are purpose-driven for social impact as well as profit. Lindsay is a partner in Aret Cannabis, Inc., a boutique consulting company that assists clients with building their cannabis businesses, including business plans, health Canada applications, municipal permits, and project management. Prior to being a co-founder of Arete, Lindsay was the president and founding director of the Canadian Cannabis Chamber, an aggregator of cannabis businesses. Lindsay is a former member of the Alberta Legislature and the Minister of Culture and Community Spirit from 2008 to 2011. Along with two years working in the Prime Minister's office, he also has a wealth of regulatory public sector experience from his professional activities in Ottawa, Edmonton, municipally and as CEO of Chiniki First Nations. This wealth of leadership and expertise, along with 15 years of supply and chain management in the electronics industry, has positioned Lindsay really well to visualize, build, and manage cannabis hemp ecosystems. Welcome, Lindsay. Thank you for joining us today. I wonder if you can give us a little bit of information about your ventures. Peak Terra is a, our Canadian company, and their goal was to be a curator of different businesses. We wanted to end up with a portfolio of companies that would focus mainly on the cannabis and hemp arena. However, they would be complementary in other industries. For example, um, you take a, a, a potential company like Air Sniper, who's in Calgary. They are a they do um, air filtration through ultraviolet technology. Interesting. They started off as doing it for grow operations, like cannabis grow operations for Aurora and and Sundial and some others. And then they realize if I'm cleaning the air and there's no pathogens, no what, then I might as well go it. So they went and tested at a lab in, in Ireland. And sure enough, it kills 99% of COVID, SARS, H1N1, Fantastic. et cetera. And to me... The, what we need, and the government is just completely offside. But <laughs> anyway, they can they can do air filtration. Yeah. So they're not only good for the cannabis industry; they're good for the healthcare Absolutely. industry. They're good for education. They'd be great for Cargill. They'd be great for a whole bunch of different people. And we'd like to. So we're trying to build towards a portfolio of companies that'll be able to do this. So we have another company out of Bahamas that's insurance, and they want to get into the cannabis industry. And the big thing we have a big challenge that there is in Canada in the industry is getting reasonable insurance and making sure that you get the coverage that you need, including your crop. Right. You know, the whole idea is always to minimize Mm -hmm. risk. And at the premise, so we have these different companies and we don't want to just get in the cannabis and hemp like everybody Mm -hmm. else. And that business, what we want to shoot for is premium cannabis, hemp, whether they're infused products, whether they're they're beverages, edibles, concentrates, topicals, it doesn't matter because I think that's a market that's been underserved. Mm-hmm. There's a constant complaint about the lack of quality of the legalized product vis-a-vis what is going on in the black market. The black market still owns 88% of the market. And Canada. And we still sell, most of our products are sold in Canada, 85% flour. Now, compare that with Colorado, where 80% is infused products. So that'd be concentrates. Mm, very so we have but we're, we haven't got there yet. We don't want people smoking. We don't want everybody smoking. Certainly doesn't, but I don't know. We haven't, I mean, the cannabis rollout for the edibles last year, I would say 1.0 was pathetic. And I think 2.0 is not much better. Um, we in Alberta kind of, it's kind of skewed because we have half the, half the retail market in all of Canada. So we don't see as a problem when you have over 500 stores and the rest of Canada doesn't, that, that you know, when you're looking at in Quebec where they've got 60 stores or Ontario where they've got 100, mm. uh, and Newfoundland has 40. I mean, there's just a, there's a Very dichotomy different. there. 
But we're in Calgary is a very much a luxury market. And, you know, Nordstrom's, there's a brand new Rolls Royce dealership that opened up two years ago, along with uh, a, a Porsche dealership, a um, Ferrari, and I think a Lamborghini. Those are not oh, cheap cars. Gosh, that's, that's luxury. And where we've had three recessions since 2015. But people will pay for quality. Yes. Wine is a prime example for us here in Calgary. Most of us to get the wine that we want from BC drive seven hours. Go to a winery, put it in our trunk, and drive back, which is illegal. Yeah. So, right. So in, in Colorado, the, the, they, they, um, they keep a study. They do a study every year. How many stores, how many people got hospitalized, how many people had impaired charges, all, a lot of things. And it found that the women, I think, was the ages 40 to 60. They wore, the average spend was $400 per month wow, on Canada. that's significant. $300 a month on prescription drugs and $200 a month on alcohol. Now, the state of, of uh, Colorado, um, alcohol has dropped 20% since 2014 when they legalized cannabis. Wow. So there's another portent of things to come, potentially. And, you know, cannabis and hemp can be wellness products. I don't think alcohol is the only uh, wellness product out of alcohol is when you're wiping your arm to get jabbed. That is, that's about, that's, that's about, about the it. only, <laughs> so we, we have, we had embarked on a, a project in Tabor, Alberta. We thought last was October, 2019. We had hoped to build a 60 acre facility that would house cultivation, turnkey cultivation. That means that we would provide everything from the, the flower, the staff, the water, the electricity, city, um, the seeds, everything. And we give them a contract to the person who has that operation. And we guarantee we'll buy their product that's produced out of there for $6 a gram, which is probably the going market rates, probably about okay. two. Okay. Pretty good. They're all craft growers. And we like to have, we've, we've talked to a, a supplier out of British Columbia who supplies medical cannabis doctors. So we want to grow strains for cancer, epilepsy, MS, different things. For most people, they won't know it has those properties, mm -hmm. but it's going to be the best product that they consume. Fantastic. So um, if, you're, if you're consuming flour and you're smoking, it doesn't matter if it kills your uh, cancer, it, 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 yes. it helps. Um, and uh, so if you take, you know, like any good chef will tell you, your, your, your creation is only as good as the ingredients you yes. put in. So what we have in our country is we don't care so much about what ingredients go in. There's a lot of schlock that gets sold mm. on the market and people. Um, and then we've had a couple of manufacturers who try to make other products out of that same crappy pot, such as tinctures or capsules. And they were rejected by the public. They don't want them. They work of quality, high enough quality. And so what thought, why don't you start by asking the customer what they want and producing what they want instead of throwing something up against the wall and hoping that they're yeah. going to buy it? Because somebody's going to come along and figure and then you're going to be in trouble. So um, that was our plan. This time last year, we had a hedge fund that was going to give us an excess of $80 million to help good construction. Then COVID happened. Oh, bad timing. So, exactly. And it, you know, what you, what can you do? So we've talked to many investors in the U.S. Um, and some in Canada, and we've just got some good feedback in the last couple of weeks. So we're hopeful that we'll be able to do something come springtime. Now, whether we can do it all in Tabor or we do it in Tabor and we do something else a little smaller somewhere else. But the most important thing is we need to have a processing facility tied to quality craft Ooh. cannabis growers. And so then we produce the terpene or the, the base crude, you're going to get the best terpene profile of the plant. So the best chemical medical properties of the plant. What happens most of the time in the processing part is that they take it and they make distillate out of it. It's like taking spinach and boiling it for 30 minutes and pouring out the water and then eating a green leafy vegetable and thinking it's healthy for you. So what you need to do is keep the terpenes. And this sounds really simple, right? But it, it's, it's neglected by a lot yeah. of people. Everybody wants 
Sure. Uh, you want the plant to cure for four or five days, and some people in a rush will only cure it for two days. And I said, well, we can never, we will never be able to do that. Focus on a premium product, one that's got medical properties that people are interested in. The other big issue, and I mentioned those ladies and uh, the demographic for women in Cal in um, Colorado. Uh, one thing about women, um, especially and in that market, they were physically fit. They worked out on a regular basis. They uh, ate uh, organic food, went to the health food, had their supplements, yeah. walked Healthy their way, group. all those things. But the problem is you're stuck with an ailment and everybody gets them as we get a little older, True. a little niggling yeah. thing. But the alternative is pharmaceutical. And that is with a side effect that could be worse than the ailment that you already have. So we like the whole idea of nutraceuticals, um, not just the cannabis and hemp, but the nutraceuticals. And now the biggest thing is the, the psychedelics. It's the, whether it, psilocybin or others that can help um, deal with mental illness. They can deal with a lot of other things. Hopefully in five years from now, we're not looking at this as some little mom and pop dope op operation. We need to look at it as a wellness business. It's plant sciences and agritech. Yeah. There's a lot of technology. I mentioned a company named Air Sniper, for mm -hmm. instance, that produces that and and. And uh, there are many. There's companies now that provide insurance. There's companies that provide architectural work, in, uh, information on the different um, lights, grow lights. There's growers and growing consultants. Um, lots of resources out there to help you um, get your business off awesome. the ground. One of the, that has never changed. Um, in 2018, I was president of a group called the Canadian Cannabis mm. Chamber out of Calgary. And it was an aggregator for the industry. And after that, I left and I just, uh, with a friend, we started a consulting business, cannabis, or at cannabis consulting. And it was focused on helping people with their applications to Health Canada. Okay. So we went through a lot of people, maybe end up with five or six clients out of it all. A lot of tire pickers. Everybody come in, want free information. I'm and then they take off. And then they, you watch them take that information. They go and spend, because I tell them up front, it's going to be two to three million dollars. Oh, no, I can do it for 500. Oh. I can do it for. And they go ahead and they do that. And then they get mm. denied. So I've seen a few of them come back to us that want to be in one of our turnkey yeah, operations because it are to grow it. Almost every cultivator that started out in Canada ruined their first crop. That's a very expensive That's an expensive mistake. Yeah, absolutely. It is. And what, you know, the biggest challenge that Health Canada sees from the applications is the business plan and the capital. The fundamentals. And the, the problem is if you think you can do it for 200000 you don't realize. And you think you're going to generate cash flow mm -hmm. right off the bat. Well, what happens? You blow your first crop. That's three months yeah. gone. So, you know, then you got to start fresh again. So you got to clean out the room. You got to clean everything out. Then you got to plant with new seedlings and start, and, again. And start the cycle again. It's been some mistake. So most people, you need, you need 12 to 18 months worth yeah. of capital to keep you going. So when we, I mean, we looked at ours and we had our ask, they were aggressive, but I said, this is what we need to be able to do this because we have to build buildings and mm -hmm. that's going to take the better part of a year to get them um, built and, and then and have Health Canada approve them and then, and then exactly. So, um, but having said all that, we got tremendous uptake on the idea of a collaborative because what happens in our industry, whether in the U.S. or in Canada, it's very, very fragmented. It's, uh, it's, and it's all about me. All these guys, Canada, these growers last couple of years held everything close to their vest. Like, and they kept on talking about a secret sauce. Well, what we found out was a secret sauce was poo. And that's so the, the, whether we got off the ground last year or this year, this, the, the fact remains, there's still a large market looking for quality products. And unlike the black market, which focuses on quality and price mm. and service, long lost art in Canada, and they, we can't beat them. And it's not, then everybody thought, well, they're going to be cheaper. They're not always cheaper. I bought $20 a gram on the black market for some really, really good stuff years ago. And, and well, you, and there's people who have um, AMCP, AMCPR licenses, which is a medical cannabis license to grow. So you can grow four plants or two, a couple of hundred plants. So they are allowed gift up to a ounce of their flower. So Ooh. it's a legal 
it's legal to do so. That's the only way I can go do it. I won't go buy from the blanket because I'm, I'm trying to be an advocate for the legal market. But you got to have an understanding of mm-hmm. what you're up against. And um, a lot of the best growers are still on the black market. Some of the, the, the best people in the processing business are still in the black market. And they make a good penny. A lot of them have websites that are up, surprisingly enough. There's ones in Calgary that can deliver in two hours. There's all kinds of things that, I mean, we're just getting hammered. And I think what the government did, and they didn't mean to, they spent so much time telling everybody that was coming um, that we just, that they never told anybody that edibles was going to be delayed for another year. People in the know in the industry, but the general population. It was a shock. Yeah. So everybody's read, especially people that are a little older. It's like a throwback. I remember that in high school or I remember it in university. It's going to be legal now. I want to try it. But I want to try things that I know it's tested. There's not going to be laced with something else. And I can I can count on it. And then they found out there was, and they didn't want to smoke. And then they, they, lots of people travel to the States. They can get it anywhere. And it's just a real dichotomy when we're supposed to be the first GA country in the Western world to be able to buy cannabis, but we can't, we, we do better, but we're going to get usurped by somebody else pretty soon because we have a few companies that are in the international game but again they're all oligarch trying to be the, the, they're trying to be the next amazon they think they can knock out all the competition be the only ones and i remember saying in a couple of presentations that i did a couple of years ago the top three cannabis companies one or two of them will not be around Very in three to five years and everything we've seen they almost lost one in the last and i think we'll lose one in the next year and i'm not happy about that it's just that the the bigger players are like the labats of the world and the rest of the players especially ones that produce quality yeah. are more like a micro brew now the problem is health canada again if you one of those micro brewers or micro cultivators if you want to sell your product to say the algc you've got to go to that big company and Aurora or somebody else like that, or the Labats of the world to go distribute your microbrew. Have you heard anything so patently ridiculous in all your life? But it is insane. And 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 part of our difficulty is well, one it was we had to get the capital get going. Moving forward, there's a lot of different changes and focus, and there's a lot of shiny pennies out there that get everybody's attention in the states. We've been asked to get involved in a couple of different projects looking at a retail chain or dispensary chain and looking at an education app because education mm-hmm. still a big issue. It's an issue for women and seniors who want to know, get the information before they put it in their body. They've got time. All our cannabis retail stores are set up like a max convenient. You're in and out in 15 minutes. Great for convenience transaction. The, 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 the people that work there, the, the bud tenders are not allowed to give you any advice as to what to use for any medical ailment. Even sleep. They can't tell you that. You've got to go to a doctor and then they will tell you. And then they will refer you to a bud tender who then will get you the, the supplier and who can get you whichever. And then you can talk to them. And Shoppers Drug Mart now is is, is one of them. Insane circle. Insane circle. But you know, more insane to Two years ago, the top 10 cannabis companies were worth $60 billion. Now, in 20, most of them lost 70, 90% of their market capitalization value. So everybody else who was looking at these small producers like myself, we had to look at alternate forms of financing. Banks, forget about it. And it was private investment. And they're, you know, the, the venture capitalists, they will extract a good good piece of your company. They are exempt to work with you. And you're lucky if you have your company after yeah. the fact. So one has to be careful with that. But um, one thing is 100% certain whether you're in Canada, US, and I don't believe it's different anywhere else in the world. There are people who will pay for quality product. Always have, always will. There are people in the States that pay two to $10,000 a gram. Oh, for- that's insane. I'm glad they got that kind of money. <laughs> Because it's the people who got who got the money, who can afford to have whatever they want. That's what they decide that they want. Long term, I would love to be able to take product from different suppliers and be able to freeze it for it like you would have a seller for wine. So imagine in 2025, I could say, I like that pink Kush from 2021 and I would purchase that. And they're going to pay for it. And they're not going to pay $6 a gram or $20. People now today in Calgary are paying $200 a gram. And why? It's fairly decent. 
but it's in a Louis Vuitton box. There is a gentleman I know that sells cigars. Cohiba paper, three grams of cannabis and a gram of, of hashish sprinkled in. He sold a hundred of those in half an hour for a hundred dollars each on the black market. So the people who are the aficionados, as opposed to the that the, the female demographic, the seniors demographic, but they all want premium. But they'll have to go to the black market to get it because it's not available. And if it does come into the stores, it's hard because you can't tell AGLC, I want to corner that particular small grower. Uh, from BC, it may be only available in 10 stores of all of Alberta because there's a limited amount. You've got crops every three months. There's only so much. And you're probably growing 600 to 1,000 kilograms per year. It doesn't la- lend itself to a lot of places. So it's it's survival of fittest and whoever can find it. And if you find Excellent. a good supplier, then you stick with them. That's where your facility would come in. If you have a large enough facility and you can selectively cultivate and, and provide a more consistent supply. Yes. Now, we would do that and what we have. We have agreements now with three or four different micro cultivators that are coming on stream in 2022, we will buy their product for them at the same $6 we would because even if we had 20 to 30 of these built out over the next couple of years in, in, a, in one of our locations, that still doesn't supply enough of the flour to produce the liquids that's going to generate what we need for all the edibles and all those other products. So, but we got to get off the ground and we've got to get started. So we're hoping to be able to do that. And uh, we know the market needs it. We have a discussion with a company that has a product, a CBD product that deals with cancer that we're interested to be involved in. And, and again, it's a prime type of company that we're, we're looking for. We want to be a company that's, like I said, plant sizes, agritech, but we also want to be a purpose-driven mm-hmm. company. We want a company that respects the environment and our environmental footprint. We want to be able to give back. We want to be able to give a percentage of sales to those individuals for medical reasons who need cannabis, can't afford it. We want to be able to supply it to them and not uh, scrimp at all on the quality that, that we give them. We want to be able to work with others. We want to share ourselves. We have shared services that we realize that people need. Lawyers, accountants, operations, IT, quality control. And now there's like what's changing is you don't have to have an employee. That's an expensive proposition. There's not enough qualified people. So now there are software and there's virtual, there's virtual COOs, there's virtual IT, there's all these different things that now help people to make sure they go through the maze of the regulatory process because it is a maze. It's a it's a top, very complex piece. But if you navigate it right, the rewards are there. Absolutely. And I mean, I, I can certainly vouch for not specifically in cannabis, but generally the value of having a top-notch chief whatever function officer split between various companies that need it pays dividends. It really right. does because they can navigate you through the process that much faster. It costs you that much less. And in the process, they're also gaining additional expertise that they give back to to you in your shared roles. So, yeah, yeah, I can see where you, you can see that value coming and, in. I and really and if the value for them is the same for us because we have our group of companies, whether they're operating separately right now as we, as we fold them in together, we expect that they're going to work together. They're going to share information. We look at ourselves, Peak Terra. I'm a system. I'm a system integrator. I'm a I'm a project manager. It's easy to uh, to manage projects when you have people given the different tasks or the different companies. When you split it up, it's different than having employees. And I we found that the hard way. It's because that company, whoever you you subcontract that to, that's their number one thing. And they accordingly, you don't have all the games. You just just like a contractor, a general contractor in construction. You're the general contractor. Contractor. You have to take care of the architects, the engineers, all of those things, and all the building suppliers, all the subtrades, all of those are responsible. So, but you bring those. So if you're the contractor, you probably have multiple clients. So you may have that subcontractor on one site, but you may have one three. And that's what we want to be able to do with Peak Terra. We want to be able to take those companies and put them on multiple sites. Again, those companies get to glean the information and learn because you have different customers, right? Everyone is unique. So you just you just build that up. But instead of holding here like the secret sauce that those, I would say, somewhat pathetic um, LPs, 
is that, no, you want to share your best practices. Why wouldn't you? And our concept, and, and for our, our park, which we call Premium Park, it would be that you're going to share amongst one another. And you're all, and we want everybody has to be profitable. Like that, I should have mentioned at the top, at least 30% profit margin. That's the cultivator who sells at $6 a gram. Now, imagine they pay us $100,000 a month. That seems like a lot of money, but they don't have to pay $2 million up front. They pay a month. But on the fourth month, they're getting paid for their crop. So they pay us $1.2 million per year for 600 kilograms. At $6 a gram, they make $3.6 million. Less 1.2, they make 2.4. For the one of the few times, the cultivator's actually getting rewarded. It's not just another job at $2 a, a gram. Awesome. So who pays for that would be the processing company or the extraction lab. Because mm-hmm. they're going to take that base flour and they're going to make that crude product or distillate or isolate, whatever they somebody wants. But that, um, that base crude now sells one milliliter at $25 to $40. So now they're making their 40%. Now, well, but what happens to the end guy? Well, the end guy may be the one making the gummy bears or or the lotion or cosmetics. Well, guess what? Like nail polish, which you make for two cents, you sell for nine. Now you're buying that at 25 to 40 and you're selling it anywhere from 100 to 400. So there's still a good return in it. Unquestionable. Yeah. And everybody, and so because we have a bunch of little companies and we want to Anybody who's an entrepreneur, we want somebody who wants to make soap. We want artisans, but you need the base mm-hmm. product. That problem is the supply chain. Yes. And so we wanted in our place, in, in this particular project, we wanted to make sure that we'll have that product, deliver it to all our clients within the park so they have their, their products to be able to, to go through. And it's customized turnkey for the processors, similar to what the cultivators are, but each one depending on the product. We have had interest from a, at least 10 U.S. companies that are interested in us producing the product for them. And we have a couple of domestic suppliers that are interested because what we can do with a medical cannabis license, you can sell to any consumer, medical cannabis consumer in the country, which, you know, when legalization happened, there was about 200,000 medical cannabis patients. I'm one of those. And everybody thought it was going to decrease. Well, now it's over 400. The other interest, 40% of that is in Alberta. We're very law-abiding people here. And you can, can you imagine there's not 40% in BC? We obviously are. For those who don't know, what's the difference between the cannabis and the hemp products? Ah, very good question. The difference is THC, the psychoactive property that's in cannabis. CBD is in cannabis as well. Um, But in hemp, it's only CBD and hemp by its very nature the amount of THC has to be less than point, point 0.3. Oh, okay. So you can have very, lit, very little and it won't affect you. So CBD is used by athletes. A lot of the boxers, MMA specialists are very much into that. I think Aurora had a deal at one time with UFC awesome. working on that. I know the National Hockey League Players Alumni Association has two scientists working on brain injuries and a lot of that research is around CBD usage Fantastic. because what CBD does, and it's great for cancer patients because it helps with a pain a little bit. I tore my ACL a few years ago and my business partner said, you got to try it. Two days later, swelling gone down, pain's that gone. That is impressive. Because what it's CBD's best property, it's, it reduces swelling. Wow. So when you reduce swelling, you increase blood flow. And when you mm-hmm. get increased blood flow, you repair an injury. Where the old days where athletes had to go and they'd kill their body and they use anabolic steroids to, to, to replace it. You don't have to do that here. You can still keep that workout regimen all the while using CBD. So you don't get that extra inflammation and wear and tear on your body. Um, and it's not invasive, no psychoactive properties. So it's not performance enhancing or performance debility. Way healthier one would would think. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And the longer term effect, it just isn't there where the anabolic steroids were really destructive. Very so. You look at how many professional wrestlers ended up dying early. Mm-hmm. Um, it's staggering. Yeah. So it is. And the other part about hemp, which is so fantastic, is that from that plant that could grow about eight feet in southern Alberta, maybe nine feet in northern Alberta a year, is that you can take that plant, you can take the hemp hearts and use it as food. Mm-hmm. You can take the other fibrous material and it can be processed to products to make um, cat 
fertilizer. Catlin. Interesting. You can, uh, you can use hemp, mix it with lime, and you end up with hempcrete, which is stronger than concrete. And right now, there's companies certified to build buildings out of those concrete, of those hemp blocks, up to eight stories high. Fantastic. So not only that, part of the plant, companies like Adidas buy in bulk to use it for their apparel. There are also others who take that product and instead of mixing it with lime to make the hempcrete, they'll mix it with a resin to make a, co- a composite in cars. BMW has hemp mail built car. There's also boats out there that are made out of hemp composite. There are combines made out of hemp composite. There's particle board made out of hemp. Really versatile a, product. A very versatile product. And it's I think it's going to change us in this country. I look at cannabis as a loss leader to me. I, the long-term future is CBD. And this is simply what why I think so simply is that um, CBD can be used in cosmetics and pet food. It's in the nutraceutical market, which is $50 billion versus the $2 billion or the $30 billion in the U.S. cannabis, hemp cannabis market, right? I rather look forward to positioning ourselves to compete in the trillion dollar, not nutraceuticals, natural products. Natural products. Includes cosmetic and pet products. Um, because it... CBD, because it reduces inflammation, it's now replacing glucosamine in large dogs who have hip dysplasia. Uh, I've talked to the, the Dental Association in Alberta a couple of years ago about the possibility of utilizing it for the nerves that they have. Yeah, the anxiety. But right now they use Ativan. Wow. So which is better for you? Which is got side effects? Which could be addictive? Not CBD. Let's, let's just say that. So it's... For us now, it's um, preparing ourselves to be able to figure out which pivot to get there. And maybe we, we will always have some cultivators and processors. But I think what we have to start mm-hmm. thinking of is the next generation of products. Canadians are hewers of wood and oil and gas and minerals, but we don't process enough of them. We don't refine our products. Here is where you get a chance where you can grow a plant. You can have that plant processed into multiple different uh, feedstock. You can use it, um, the flower at the top of it for, for medical purposes. And it's, and it's quite lucrative. Anywhere Fantastic. from five to $15,000 a kilogram. And that's for the, 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 the process part of that. Mm-hmm. But even the flour itself, is not, it's not cheap. But, you know, like we were talking before, it's once it gets processed, then, you know, it gets stepped yeah. up. And that's but, where the value add comes yeah, in. We need, to, we need to be able to get companies to be able to do that. And we need to be able to access finance and be able to do that. And I think it'll be a lot easier once we start moving forward as an industry, when we start to look at ourselves as that plant sciences and agriculture tech as opposed to it's a pot business. Yes, and that's the perception of a lot of people. They don't understand the value that is beyond the smoking and edibles. Right. If you see a three-year-old who has 140 seizures in a day, ABD in the next day is down to 10, and then the third day there's none. Fantastic. All life, why would we not want this? And I last say, you know, there was a lot of worries about legalization and very much in, in, in involved in that. People thought there was going to be all these incidents of, of, of uh, impaired driving. I think it's less than 5% increase, I think, any of them. You know, when the city of Calgary decided to put their non-toking bylaw into place, I just laughed. I said, never put in something you can't enforce. But then people afterwards saying, well, nothing happened. Well, I said, no, people are doing it. The 25% of the population have been doing it for mm-hmm. years. They can't switch overnight. They've always had the highs. Yeah. It's hard to come back out of it. So they do things appropriately. And now we're starting to see some of the medical benefits. And I think I'm hoping to be part of that discovery in three to five years where you're not, you're going to be able to grow a flower like the cultivators in BC that focus on the um, patients. You're going to take that, grow that, those terpenes. But what they're going to, you're going to go to a doctor and they're going to do a terpene profile. So look at you, your heart, do you have gout, whatever that is, um, skin disease, anything. And then they're going to look at that terpene and then they're going to go to the lab and they're going to come up with those terpenes to counteract those ailments of their 700 that they know of already. And there's just new compounds in CBD like CBJ or in, in um, cannabis and like CBJ that 
that are now becoming more prevalent. But by having um, more of that, we will be able to, uh, there's nanotechnology available in this province. You could have a Fitbit. You could go to the doctor. They could give you the Fitbit cocktail. And then you could ask for whatever delivery method. Because once you have a crude, do you want that in a tincture? Do you want that in a gel cap? Do you want that in a gummy bear? Would you like it in a nice little piece of chocolate? Yeah. You know, however, and then it'll be microdosed accordingly. And that information given to, to the patient. And with that Fitbit, the doctor could monitor remotely all your vital signs in real time. And there could be a lot of value in that and being able to tweak dosage in that in susceptible patients. Exactly. So, yeah, that's, that's where it's going to be. That's where we have to get to. And challenge is getting people to understand that. But I can tell you, every month, more and more people come to the forefront that want to help work and do things like that. There's especially the first group of doctors that really got into it are the pain doctors. They want people off of opioids like I do. I can't believe an advanced society like ours or the United States, we allow 3,500 people to die every year. And that's probably low. I think it's low. It's probably Half. higher than that. The yeah. US is 60-some thousand. We should be a factor of 10. Mm-hmm. So we should be around six, I would think. But one death is unacceptable. Yes. How many people die from cannabis? I mean, <laughs> they've got to be healthier options for, right, right. We, we, for the we, real purposes. We have that more these interest in the ta- the birds dying in a tailings pond than actual human beings dying. That's a sad thing. So um, we want to be part of the solution to bring responsible, nutraceutical, organic alternatives for wellness as opposed to the pharmaceutical mm. products that were given. And I'm not calling my anti-pharmaceutical, but we've just seen with the vaccine how companies are motivated, those pharmaceutical companies, and they're not motivated for no, us. No, it's, uh, I mean, they've proved time and time again that it's bottom line of the pharmaceutical companies and they're all getting funding in order to develop their products now anyway. Right. So, but you try to get funding for an organic product to do that, to test it. You know, yeah. they, they, our, our government doesn't even accept um, research from Israel. Because, and Israel been, has been researching this for over 40 years. Now, I would, what do you think? Israel as a technological capacity versus us. Yeah. Health Canada is definitely right because <laughs> Israel would know anything about research. We can't learn we, from we, those who have done some pretty amazing things over the generations. And we'll continue to do so. So where do you find the major obstacles are? Is it the perception that people don't want to be involved with cannabis, that they're not funding it? Or is it just a learning that people need to understand more? Well, I think a lot of people get into cannabis because of the greed fact. They see the amount of money you can make, the amount of money I was just talking about, but it doesn't grow on trees. No. And it doesn't go there, it doesn't go overnight. And I think one of the, the other, so it's that mentality. And I try to tell my clients when I had clients and, and the partners that we have today, I want to provide picks and shovels. I don't want to be the guy trying to find the nugget sluicing over the river. Picks and shovels sell month in, month out for all those people that come for the gold rush. And to me, that's what I do. Why pick a pick an area and 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 focus on that? And so we're we've we've got interest from lots of those different companies looking at ways to work together, ways to share information, maybe share resources and um, come up with something better. What we wanted to do is we wanted to provide a brand to be able to for all these small producers, they can sell to us. They don't have to change their brands. They don't have to change anything about them. We just become like NutraSwirl. And all of a sudden, we represent 40 or 50 different man- or manufacturers of products. And we can go internationally now and sell those, whether it's South yes. Africa, whether that's South America. From Canada, we can do that. The U.S. can't. And while we have, that's why those U.S. companies want to be here. That's why they would manufacture here. Not so much for our market, but for that German market. For, for the international reach. Market. Right. It's almost as a cooperative is what, what you building yeah. is uh, the, the smaller right. Bird has the legal ramifications of a cooperative. And the only problem with that, and I didn't realize until I did some research was that a cooperative, one person could say, I don't want to do it. And it just throw out a whack for everybody. And we can never let that allow that to happen. No, that's not the intention. You don't need a, an individual powerhouse or a group think in something like right. this. It's intended well, to be that, for the benefit of everybody. That was why it was grasslands, Tabor, collaborative. It may end up 
being grasslands, red deer. I don't know where, but you know, it's it. There's a lot of factors that come into play. You know, a funder say, yeah, I love that idea, but can you move it here? We want it to grow there. Um, so we're we're trying to we're trying to figure that out. Yeah, you're figuring it out and and reasonably flexible according to certain uh, parameters as you do yeah. the negotiation because yeah. you're not tied to a particular place. No, um, and we want to eventually have more than one. I think these little places that the that we have the parks there should almost be one every 250 kilometers to, mm-hmm. to be able to deal with the market what we grow in southern alberta will great for the southern alberta market we're not going to sell it in edmonton no transportation is crazy you know I'm- well it is and it, it's just you can't produce enough and if you you and and the mistake will be if anybody starts to say oh we can just expand i said no you don't want to because now you're going to sacrifice your quality. Guaranteed, you'll sacrifice it. So just put up another. They make money. We our EBITDA was you know twenty eight million dollars uh, in our second year um, annually, um, just on the real estate component. So we thought the real estate because we lease out the spaces to everybody, including ourselves. Um, we have five year contracts with those. The buildings when they're fully built out and with those contracts, it will be very very attractive to a REIT to come in that. And um, we would still maintain our relationship with our clients. It's just the building owner would be different. But, you know, we'd still have our people, um, the growers, the all the people that we would have would still be ours to, to conduct it. We would just now be able to take that sunken cost. And, and lots of the LPs have done that and say it's a 80 to $100 million. Take that out and pay off any debt. And then our parent company would consider going public. And just you've got the model. You've developed the model on the first one. Relocate to a new place, potentially a couple of different investors. But, um, yeah, the, the model works because it's... The, the hard road is the startup. It's developing and right. knowing how to do all these things. Um, and we've got really talented people because I, I mean, I know something. I know enough to find the smart people. So I find them trying to find the best of who they are out there. And, um, you know, we've got a little bit of time. We don't, we're not going to move into, a, I don't want to move into a building to retrofit it. Mm. We're going to something. That means we can't get into the ground until probably late March, early April, but we might be the building might be finished by June, July. And that's great. I mean, that, that's not really a long timeline. Well, you know, now COVID's like a yellow flag in a race, in a race, right? It's like you got to slow, you can't go and, and lap people on our yellow flag. And and a lot of people, there's some companies that did really well, Amazon, uh, but there's most of us are stagnant because capital stuff, it didn't stop. It changed. We went from, yeah, yeah, I loved you, loved you. Like our board doesn't want to do startups right now. And, you know, but they like the real estate end. So we, we you know, we'll come back to, to something. But I think what people realize is that you want to be part of a group yes. and then and, and we de-risk that for you and instead of you going it alone with your investment. And it doesn't matter if it's 500000 a million or two. That's a lot of money when it's your money. No, it is. And, so. and you're so right. The COVID uh, situation has allowed a lot of rethink in a lot of areas. Been very frustrating because of some of the rethink in certain areas. I mean, as you say, capital wasn't flowing the same. It kind of slowed down and, and started rethinking. But at the same time, the rethink is productive in some other areas. Well, I think so. I mean, look at office and how we how we view office and working from home and how that changes. And if a smart company says, wow, why don't we get you a T2200? Maybe we'll give you 500 for a laptop or $1,000 for whatever you have to do at home. And we're saving money. At the very least, we're not paying $750 for parking on a monthly basis yeah. per employee. Never mind the 20, 50, 100,000, 200, the ridiculous amounts of rent they're paying. And when you can't even utilize the building. You can't use the building. So true. And, and the furniture and the you know the refitting and and it's and it's not aligned with our future economy it's not aligned with our future you know generation or the millennials that are 21 to 35 they outnumber the baby boomers but the generation z 21 and under outnumbers the millennials never in our history have we had two growth generations back to back and the younger one are more optimistic than the previous five so only those people that after World War II and the rebound felt more positive about life than they do. And why? And I've got two of them. One's two, one's 20. I've got two as well. <laughs> and I remember I went to my grade four class. He was in grade 
at the time. I was a cabinet minister. And those kids told me that Nahed Nenshi was going to win the, 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 the election. It was his first time. Very interesting. It was, it was wow. May. And he was, re- know what his polling numbers were? Between two and four percent. So I, they were nine-year-olds. Very so why? And then, then I said one of the most stupid things I could ever say. You're not allowed to be on Facebook until you're 12. And they laughed at me. And the teachers laughed at me. And I said, hold up. I said, okay. I apologize. But I said, I can't go to the legislature and tell my colleagues because they won't understand. It. They won't believe. It. So I went back after the election. And there's about 90% in the, those two classes that they had a combined class when I went to visit that said they believed that Menenshi was going to win. So I went to the other six schools in my riding and I asked them all the same thing. Because I usually go to the grade sixes, but I went to the grade fours. Same thing. Somewhere 80, 90. One of the teachers says, come back after the election. It'll blow your mind. So I went back and he said, ask these three questions. And I, the one, the first group was three classes, about 100 kids. How many of you, your parents voted? Like 90% of them. How many of your parents voted for the very first time? That was about 50%. How many of them had never voted for the first time and voted for Nahed Nenshi because you told them to? 35%. Very interesting. So from that number, I went and started my second year of Alberta Arts Days, which is now Alberta Cultural Days. And I sent out, I instructed our staff to send out a postcard invitation to every student grade six and under. Don't waste your time with a junior high. They're too cool. Don't waste high school. They're way too cool. And, but these young ones in person, you see what they do on the environment. Like, I mean, they, that thing, they stick to that thing and you can't get it out of them, right? So they said, get your parents up off the couch for three wildly exciting days. And we have all our museums, interpretive centers and, and, um, provincial sites available free of charge for those three days. Our numbers, Michaela Jean told me, they were higher than Quebec. It took Quebec 12 years to get going. It took us eight months. Fantastic. In that years, we had the same results that took Quebec an additional 10 to 12 years after they had started. So 20-some years later, somehow we're the laggard, and those people are telling us we don't know anything about culture. Very interesting, and very interesting just how influential that generation is proving to be. We have a lot of entrepreneurs in the making here in these younger generations. Well... Well, my, my son's in, in, in uh, business at U of A, and he says, well, because he, he worked at the ledge full-time last year, and he, he couldn't carry that in his load, so he's working part-time. But he had some money, and he says, well, I just opened a Quest Train account today. Interesting. And I, he says, we're going to go play. And he says, we figured it out. And I told him in my diary, I said, I thought you were going to take over a political party, and I think you really should, because I think everybody needs to be taught a lesson. Because... At $10 a membership, easy to get those people to buy 500,000 of those. The other ones will cry and what? I said, but they're optimistic because they know they can change it. I don't want to be, I don't want to be in a hospital or in a long-term care facility when they start making those decisions because it's not going to be pretty because they know they're going to have to hack and whack because they're left holding the bag. Yeah, and very different perception. They are looking, a lot of them have way more forward thinking. They're also looking at the problems of the world that we are breeding or have bred mm-hmm. or potentially could breed. And they want to do something about it for themselves and the future generations. So it's a very, very different attitude among these younger people. Yeah. So what um, trends do you see impacting us over the next, shall we say, three, five, even 10 years? Well, one of them is clothing. Um, Leisure wear is somewhere 300% increase. Jeans are that. If you look at Moore's Warehouse or Moore's for Men, you can't find a suit. Very big change. Right? Who uses a dry cleaner? Um, Housing. A lot of people had to move into a different house because they need an extra room. Another but a lot of people are starting to find they don't need, just need another office. They need a little cubicle, like a Zoom room, where you could have a chair and just have that conversation. And the kids need it as much as the adults, because many homes, you got two adults and you got kids. That's a nightmare. And these, Too much noise. These beautiful open concepts. I live in one, but luckily I'm alone. My, my daughter works. And, but so 
during the day, I'm, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. But I, I'd be crazy if there's three of us trying to work here, not trying to, even though I have my office, I can close my door, but not as that luxury. No, so true. Our homes are very open. And I mean, I'm fortunate I have rooms I can close, but uh, it's in a, a slightly older house. So it is very unusual. Yeah. And I think um, one of the trends that are coming is this purpose-driven companies. The millennial and the Gen Z want to invest in those companies. And so you have to declare yourself. And there's a lot of guys, there's a lot of companies that hate millennials. And they've got some of the challenges and I get it, but they're 35% of the workforce already. They're going to be within 10 years, they'll be 75% of the work. That's the reality. You and I won't be here 10 years from now. We may be, but you know, this other trend, it's unfortunate is people are going to have to change (laughs) their job. You're 50 or 60. If you're laid off, I realized five years, I'm not employed. It's very hard. I got ills, but you're coming in at a high rate and, you know, there's not that many homes. So create consulting, whatever, create your own. And that's what I think a lot of young people are starting to see. Mm-hmm. On almost every campus across the country, there's startups, full of startups, incubators. I, I think one of the things that will have a trend, online shopping, warehousing, and logistics are huge because all these new online services need to have a back office and somewhere yes. to ship from and more transportation. So those trucking companies are going to do well. Even I think you'll see the train will do well. Um, that even though we lost Keystone XL, now we have to ship by rail. And there's capacity, there's 25% mm-hmm. capacity on the rail. So I know it's not perfect. And I know that the, the hazards, but I think that's that's definitely one of those. Products will still move. And I think, <laughs> no matter how they're going to yeah. move, when and, uh, the demand is there. They are going to move, yes. And it's supply chain and how you do it. And the people who do that better, i.e. places like Asia, places like Israel, there's a lot to learn there. We're a little too stubborn. And it's fun, not so much a trend, but these little countries are going to have that vaccine and they'll have it delivered much better than we will because they use NGOs. We use our government, the worst form of anything to use. And so um, unfortunately, in the short term, that's not going to change. But I think internationally, um, we have to start looking at ourselves differently. In Alberta, we have to, we finally start seeing articles about the brain drain. We know our kids are smart. They can go anywhere. When they go, they don't have to come back. And there's no value proposition. And we set up a school system, K-12, that we pay for so they can go somewhere else and learn. Yeah, the quality of education is great for others. Yeah, so and and I think others are starting to realize it. And and manufacturing, having manufacturing start up more at home. We need manufacturing. And I think Canadians would easily, without batting an eyelash, pay twenty percent more for a domestic product. They know from especially if it's a purpose-driven, environmentally conscious company that has a social conscience. Yeah, I mean, for the longest time we've been saying that's our problem. Why are we shipping all the raw material, original micro product? out to then purchase the finished good back. Let's do it locally. We have pretty intelligent people here. We can do a lot more than we do. Highly educated. I don't know if you've ever seen this. It was around the around 9-11. I saw an article or I saw it on television and it it shocked me because it said 70% of the people are not competent to hold the jobs that they have. That's scary. That is scary. It is scary. But before I thought about it every single day for the last month or two months, I think the number's low. Tell me one com- country other than Israel that has been competent in this whole vaccine process. No, Not a one. So correct. Oh. Some have been better than others, but there have been major problems right. everywhere that we've heard about. Absolutely everywhere. And first of all, you have stuff in an order book. Well, Israel put their order in after you. So they had to pay an expedite fee. If you're already throwing around $600 billion, what's another $50 million or $100 million for an expedite? Smart investment pays on some of these things. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think um, that, you know, different industries, cannabis and hemp will become more of a wellness. And I think wellness is going to be one of the biggest trends other than economic repair and the damage, physical damage caused by COVID, I think it's people and their bodies 
They become, we all know that we're mortal now. We've all felt it. We've been rattled by it. And if there's something that we can do to make ourselves less susceptible, and even if you didn't have a vaccine, if you're in better health shape and you, you reduce those core morbidities, then you have a fighting we chance. Have a healthier aging phase. And I mean, everybody acknowledges that if you can be healthier as you get older, your quality of life is so much better as well. And we can't stop the aging part. That happens to all of us every day. So if we can do it better through something that we're consuming naturally where possible without all these chemicals that we land up forcing into our bodies when things go so badly wrong as we age, it's got to be infinitely more enjoyable as we, we get older. Yeah, I see that little microcosm, that uh, body of work that is Colorado and seeing that change and how, you know, those those individuals, the, the, that, the female client base, so the medical cannabis clientele that spend more money on cannabis and hemp than they do on pharmaceuticals and on liquor. And um, that's another trend. It's a coming. very interesting trend that's probably going to spread. I mean, realistically, where people have a quality perspective, they're going to demand quality in whatever alternative choices they make. Right. And it's coming down. And um, the um, I think there's, yeah, there's, there's going to be a lot more people open to it. And the other huge one, or three of them, I would say, racial equality. Mm. Article and op-ed in the Herald back in June because my kids were fighting each other over it. They're, they're biracial. And I said, I'll write it. I understand what you two both, but I did the human rights bill that is on the ledger is my bill. So awesome. I, I do. Know. So I wrote it and um, that was fine. Uh, but at the end of it, I got invited by a radio station in Toronto to do a podcast or it was a panel discussion, about 10 of us across North America, black, these Black Lives Matters as it, as it happened. And then I got invited to go back to the radio station by myself to do it. It was an hour podcast. And so we talked about affirmative action. And I said, here's the tough thing. Affirmative action is a waste of time. What our, the young generation wants is true equality. And after, when I was writing my article, I had no less than 20 different friends that all have kids my kids' age. A lot of them I've known, we've, our kids have grown up together, most of them because through politics, and they all had an argument with their children. And I said, let me guess, it was because you say I'm not a racist, but is that what, you, is that what happens? And it was that. And there is no excuse. My father, he's black, but you talk about certain groups from certain countries, he goes crazy. I said, you can't do that. How do you expect people to treat us differently if you don't, if you don't understand that? You've got to accept everybody for what they are. One of the bad things about COVID, we may lose a lot of those great restaurants that we have in our yes. city. We're back to Chinese food and pizza again. Oh, my God. Shoot me. So unfortunate uh, and so, so true because, yeah, the diversity of things like restaurants and cultural restaurants specifically, we had a lot of cultural restaurants. And you are, you're seeing the, the, the vacant buildings increasing more and more and particularly in that, that particular tier of specialty. They just can't survive in this. They just can't survive without sit-down restaurant. Yeah, yeah. And so it's... Um, it's it's interesting, but that young generation, um, they will they're little entrepreneurs mm -hmm. wanting to be little investors, and they'll get some of those things back up and running because they because they can figure it out. They've been just lucky. Unlike the millennials, the Gen Z were the first generation there actually had technology yes, in the crib, yes. right? I remember the argument, my wife, when kids were 10 and 12, no way they're having a phone. I, then I talked to a friend in Red Deer who had kids just a couple of years older, and they, she said, the best thing you'll ever do. And it was. And I remember my wife and I, I said, mm -hmm. watch, because you told me what happened. I said, text them. I, within less than 10 seconds, respond every time for the next yeah. three phone them <laughs> you're going to be dreaming they're not going to answer the phone <laughs> you, know you know what i'm talking about oh, that's so so <laughs> true i've been on that same train <laughs> right right but it's like but because they have that they got google they got fact check they got now they got everything tiktok instagram and i think i think you're going to see instagram facebook and twitter die and I think something's going to come out with better that is fact-checkable, that actually has some integrity. And the other, the news media, they're going to go yeah. the way of the dodo. Yeah, no, it's very interesting that that generation as well, they're very interested in checking their facts and accuracy. They don't just, where people were afraid, they were just going to swallow any garbage they found on the internet. And you find less of that in the younger generation than you do in the older generation. 
So how can listeners contact you to learn more about your various ventures and the portfolio of companies and the industry as a whole? www.peaktera.com. And um, there should be a link to our, our premium park project that we're, that we're still working on. And it'll give you an idea of what, uh, what we're looking at. And we're just updating our website. So sometime in the next week, it should have a, a new flavor. As we've had pivots and as we've seen where things are moving or where investors want us to go. Um, so we're, we're making those changes. Well, that's valuable. And I'll certainly, I'll, I'll link up the um, address in the, on the show notes page as well so that people can okay. get hold of it if they're listening in the car or something. Like yeah. That. So and we'll have that. some a great surprise about a month from now. So we... Fantastic. We, we will be watching oh, yes, for that. What, I'm going to have to circle back and find you out. Will, you will. That is... That's something I'm more proud than anything I've done today. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for the opportunity to talk. I really enjoyed our chat. The Unlocking Business Growth Podcast is sponsored by Protea Consulting Professional Corporation. We help our clients achieve the business growth and success they are capable of. They innovate and strategically anticipate, fine-tune their highest impact business variables, and regularly exceed aggressive growth and cash flow targets. If you would like to know more, here are four ways you can help energize your business growth. Number one, subscribe to the Unlocking Business Growth podcast to hear from other companies that have overcome growth hurdles they have experienced. Hit the subscribe button in your podcast app right now or go to proteaconsulting.ca slash podcast. Number two, get your free copy of NOLA's latest book, The 5F Strategy, Bottom Line Growth in Any Economy Without Additional Sales and Marketing to discover her proven strategies for growth. Go to proteaconsulting.ca slash book. Number three, download a copy of the Financial Growth Scorecard to assess your current status and what to work on next on your growth journey. Go to proteaconsulting.ca slash growth. Number four, work with us to achieve the growth and success your company is truly capable of. To find out if we're a fit, email nola at info at proteaconsulting.ca or send us a note on the website at proteaconsulting.ca slash contact. <laughs>